Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John, and this is the 86th program in this series. In this program, I'm in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 16, where Jesus said, You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. And I was explaining at the end of the previous program that Jesus was referring to his disciples, that he chose his disciples, and that there is a popular belief within Christianity that because Jesus said this to his disciples, that this means that he relates to everyone in this way, and that if he chose the disciples, then the only people who will ever have a relationship with him will be those who he chooses, which means that there's going to be a division between those who he chooses and those who he doesn't choose. And there is a theology that exists because of this, and the theology is that we have nothing to do with our salvation in the sense that it's not really our choice. We are not responding to the gospel out of our decision. Instead, God has overwhelmed us. He has overpowered us. He has simply decided that we are going to be one of his special chosen people. I certainly do not agree with this belief, but this is a common belief. And so I don't mind mentioning it in this program that it is something that people believe. But I'm also going to say that I certainly do not. If this is true, if this is a belief that a person wants to hold to, then I would have to say they have to go somewhere else in the scriptures in order to find the support for that kind of belief. I don't see it here. I don't see it anywhere else either. But a lot of people do see other passages that give the impression that this is the way that God relates to us. But here in verse 16, Jesus is speaking to his disciples And when he speaks to his disciples about the fact that he chose them, he says more about this. For example, at the end of verse 16, and that your fruit should remain, well, that gives the impression that there is going to be perfection, that they're not going to sin at all. It can give that impression. And then continuing in the verse, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Well, this describes the whole package of what he's talking about in this conversation that he is having with the disciples. And the whole package means that they are also going to obey his commandments. And so if he has chosen them that they should express perfection, if he has chosen them so that they would make requests of the Father 
and those requests would be answered. And in addition to this is the condition that they obey his commandments and that they love one another as he has loved them, which they're never going to do. That's the point, is that they're never going to love as God loves. They're never going to obey all the commandments as Jesus has obeyed all of the commandments. They are never going to bear fruit to perfection, fruit that will remain eternally. This is not going to happen. So Jesus choosing these disciples is a temporary relationship. At some point, the conditions are not going to be fulfilled, and this relationship will come to an end. So Jesus chose them to be his disciples But for there to be a continued relationship, there's going to have to be a different covenant, a different definition of what the relationship will be between him and the disciples, which does make perfect sense that they are going to have to be saved just like anybody else. They are going to have to be resurrected from the dead through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God. This is why Jesus told them the Holy Spirit is coming and he will be in you. But that means that he's not there right now. The disciples will have to be saved. They will have to enter into the new covenant. The relationship that they have right now will have to come to an end so that they can live in the new relationship that gets defined according to the new covenant that goes into effect because of the forgiveness of sins. So when Jesus told them that he chose them, well, that's nice, but this is the same thing as God choosing the children of Israel as a whole, as a collective, in order to be a nation, in order to be the recipients of the commandments, and for them to try to obey the commandments, which they have tried to do for centuries. For hundreds and hundreds of years. And the history that we have in the scriptures demonstrates clearly that no one's going to do it. It's not going to happen. So when Jesus chose the disciples, it was similar to God choosing the Israelites as a whole. Just as God chose the Israelites to live in obedience to the commandments, so also Jesus chose the disciples to live in obedience to the commandments. It's the same thing, and the end result will be the same. There will be a need for a new covenant, and so there is more to say, and there is more to understand. But I wanted to show you this in verse 16 in order to help you to understand the reality that what they have going on right now is going to come to an end, and they are going to be saved, and then there will be a new covenant, and that is what we enter into. We enter into that relationship. Now, I'd like to spend a little bit more time talking about the subject of us asking God to do things for us. Jesus has mentioned this several times. He mentioned this in John chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, He mentioned this in John chapter 15, verses 7 through 8. He's going to say it again. We have it here in John chapter 15, verse 16, but he's going to say it again in John chapter 16, verse 24. 
This is the same conversation. He starts the conversation at the place where they are having the Last Supper. They leave that place, but he continues the conversation and he repeats the same thing. Repetition. He's going to say this four times. Ask God to do something for you and he will do it. He also includes the conditions such as love one another and obey my commandments. And so under that criteria, under those conditions, God will never have to comply. But this is something that Jesus wants people to do. He wants his disciples to do this. Ask things of God. Now, we know, again, that he will never be required to do whatever we ask because we will never fulfill the conditions. But there may be some times, and based on the testimonies that we have throughout history, there is more than enough evidence to show that there are times when God will do things that we ask. And so we should be encouraged to ask. But there are two things that I think we really need to see when Jesus tells his disciples to ask things of God. The first thing that we need to see is that when he does this, he mentions that the purpose of this is so that God may be glorified. And this word, to be glorified, is just a glorified word that says that God may be known. This is the first thing that I want you to see. I want you to see that an objective of this relational experience is so that God may be known. Now, the first thought that people will generally have when considering this is that, well, if God does a miracle, well, then he exposes himself as being real. He exposes himself as being a person who is a participant in our lives. So he is known. Otherwise, we might suggest he doesn't even exist. But if he will respond to our prayers, if he will do something that we ask, well, then we can say that, all right, God exists. He is now known. That's what people will normally start with. But I don't think that this is what he has in mind. When he wants to be known, he wants to be known as a person in terms of the qualities that he has as a person. And so this is the second thing that I think that we should be thinking about. The first thing is that he may be known. But the second thing is that he may be known as a person and that the way that he responds to our requests will reveal something to us about his person, especially when he doesn't respond. When he does not respond, it can show a lot about who he is. Not because he doesn't do what we ask and we think that he's not fulfilling what he said he would do. But instead, we should be thinking about the fact that we have a God who has decided not to do something. And if he decides not to do something, then this can tell us a lot about who he is. For example... It can tell us that he doesn't want to do something that we ask him to do. And you know what? We might ask him to do something that's not good, that's not right, that is not a good idea. And what this means is, is that we should trust him. We should rely on him. 
we should believe that he will make the right decision in the circumstance that we presently see. That this will tell us something about him as a person, and we should be asking him to show us and reveal to us, give us some discernment about who he is as a person, as to why he decided not to do what we asked. I believe that this is something that we should really keep in mind. And following up with that, we should also recognize that when we ask things of God, this should show us something about ourselves. So not only is this an opportunity for God to be glorified in the sense that he can be known, if we will ask him things like, give me some discernment so that I might know you more, so that I might understand you more. How about asking for that so that he may be glorified, so that he may be known by revealing to you who he is? How about that kind of a request? In general, people are not thinking in these terms. Instead, they're thinking about, God, do something for me. I see a problem that needs to be solved. You solve it. Or I have a need You can fulfill it, so you fulfill it. Well, what about knowing him as a person? What about that? Anybody want to ask, God, will you please show me something today about who you are as a person? Would you do that? That is the kind of request that I think God would really like to answer. And if you know him well enough for him to reveal something more profound to you, then he might do that. Otherwise, you're going to have to accept more of the basics about who he is as a person that may not seem to be so profound, but these are important things that establish a foundation of a relationship between you and him so that you know him more and more and understand him as a person in simple ways so that you can begin to understand him in more complex ways. But again, this does show us a lot about ourselves. And if we would pause and think about what we have asked of God, and when he doesn't do what we ask, maybe we should think about what we're asking. Maybe it's an opportunity for us to think about who we are as a person and to be perhaps a little bit more considerate about what we may ask of our God. So there is a lot of opportunity with us asking things of God. When Jesus encouraged his disciples to ask of God four times in this conversation, when he does this, he does give them an opportunity to ask God to reveal himself to them, and he also provides them with an opportunity to know more about themselves. Putting these two things together, the idea of God choosing the disciples and also inviting them to ask things of him, can show us a lot about who we are as people. And it can also show us how there are different kinds of people. 
When it comes to salvation, God is looking for a certain kind of person. He has presented the gospel to the entire world, but only a certain kind of person will respond to the gospel. God has presented the good news. He has presented the offer of salvation to everyone, to the entire world. But only a certain kind of person will respond. So he doesn't need to select individuals and say, you as an individual, I think I'd like you to be in my kingdom forever. And you, I think you definitely are going to hell, whether you like it or not, and whether you repent or not. I don't want to hear it. I want nothing to do with you ever, no matter what you may think tomorrow or next year. I just want you to know you have no chance. This is what a lot of people believe. I would say the majority of people in the Christian world that I have encountered in my lifetime do believe this. I certainly do not share in this belief. It is my belief, it is my understanding that God has defined a covenant and he has presented everyone with an invitation to surrender to the new covenant. But only some will surrender to the new covenant. Who would do that? Who would possibly surrender to the new covenant? It has to be a person who will first recognize that they have sin. That's a good start. They have to recognize that they have sin and that this sin requires the forgiveness of God. They have to recognize that the sin that they have committed is so evil. It is so wicked that there is nothing that they can do in order to obtain forgiveness. It's that bad. It's so bad that the only way that they will obtain forgiveness is if God decides to die for their sins. That's how evil they are, how evil their sin is. If a person can get to that point, then they can appreciate and understand That this is what God did. He manifested in the flesh as Jesus and he died for the sins of the world. Because even if you died for your sins, that still wouldn't be good enough. So God died for your sins on your behalf. That is good enough. Now just making it that far, it's going to be hard to find a person who will really embrace that. That separates A lot of people from those few people who will see that, who will understand that, who will embrace that, and who will reach out to God with thankfulness for what he has done for them. That is the kind of person that God wants in his life. It isn't about an individual here or an individual there. What kind of a person are they really? It's about, do they recognize this? Will they embrace this? This defines the criteria by which a person is saved. A person must recognize their condition. They must embrace his provision. And this is the kind of person that God wants. 
when he defines this criteria, he chooses some people and he chooses to reject others. When he establishes the definition, the criteria like this, this is how he chooses people. But he chooses people as a type of person, not as an individual person. He leaves it up to us that if a person will embrace this, if they will believe this, if they will surrender to this, then that's the kind of person he wants. They are welcome. Now, there is, of course, a lot more to say about this in order to talk about the criteria a little bit more. Of course, they are going to be born again. They're going to be made into a new creation. That involves the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within them. We know that this is part of the package. We know that this is part of the deal. But I want you to see this in the context of choosing people on a collective basis versus choosing people on an individual basis. That it really is about the collective in this sense. When he chose the people of Israel, the children of Israel, he chose them as a collective. When he chose the disciples, he chose them, in a sense, as a collective. There certainly are some individual components here, but for the most part, he relates to them as a collective. When we are born again by the Spirit of God, when we are made into children of God, of course we are entering into this covenant as individuals. But he has reached out to a collective. He has reached out to the entire world. And he has divided the world into two parts, the kind of person who will reject him and the kind of person who will accept him, who will acknowledge their condition, his provision, and they want to know him. They want to know who he is. They want to relate to him. They want him to relate to them. They want a relational experience, mutual communication, them asking things of him, him revealing things to them. Ask God to show you who he is. A little more. That is a prayer I am confident he will answer because he wants you to know who he is. So again, in verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name he may give you. This is what he said to his disciples. But this is similar to what we have in the new covenant. In the new covenant, he chooses us because he has chosen the kind of person he wants. If we decide we will be that person, then we are in a relationship with him. And in this relationship, we will bear fruit. The fruit of the Spirit will be real in our lives as we continue in this relationship, as we receive what he has for us, as we embrace that, it becomes a part of our lives. Then what we receive from him, we will give to others. And that is a description of the transaction of bearing fruit. 
And much of that fruit will remain eternally. As an example, if we share with others what has been shared with us so that we might know the gospel, so that we might know our God, when we have that, when that is a part of who we are, we will give that to others and others will believe the gospel. That is an example of bearing fruit, of the fruit of the Spirit. And when they are resurrected from the dead by believing and trusting in the truth of the gospel, then they will remain. That is an example of how this will be realized and how it has been realized. But it was realized through the new covenant, not through the old. And again, in verse 16, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Well, we ask him many things. And there are many things that our God has given to us. And he will continue to give to his disciples, give to his people. So while this is different from what these disciples were encountering, it is still a foreshadowing of what is realized in the New Covenant. Thank you for listening. This is the 86th program in the verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. In this program, I was in John chapter 15, verse 16, where I spent some more time talking about two different subjects that are expressed here, and I brought them together. The first subject was the idea of choosing the disciples, and I explained that this is a foreshadowing in order to help us to see that God does choose us, but he chooses us as a group by defining the criteria of the kind of person that he wants with him throughout eternity. The other subject was with regards to asking him anything that we would like him to do for us. And I explained some more details about asking him to reveal to us who he is as a person, that this is the kind of person he wants in his life, a person who wants to know him. And I will continue with this in the next program. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net Thank you,